You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 129. Today I'm hanging out with Danielle Frankel. Danielle is a mom in our village who jumped into a post in our Facebook group when a mama had reached out asking about the Enneagram and if anyone else was into it, etc. And there was this fun thread going on and I shared how everyone who joins Seed as an employee takes an Enneagram test so that I can learn a little bit more about them and how I've taken one and Zach has and we use the Enneagram in our relationships. Well, Danielle popped in and was like, hey, just FYI, there's a lot of like mistyping that happens and she was giving some insight because she's a human who teaches on the Enneagram. And she so kindly joined me for a conversation to dive into this. While we were chatting, I asked her to name the nine archetypes, and she was hesitant to do so because when we hear the names of them, sometimes we attach meaning to those words. And in reality, none of them, they're not good or bad. They just are. And so she didn't want to name them, but then reached out afterwards in email and was like, you know what? I think as long as we have that disclaimer there, we can absolutely name them. So I'm going to go through them with you here in the intro. There are nine archetypes according to the Enneagram Institute. One is the reformer, formerly known as the perfectionist. Two is the helper. Three is the achiever. Four is the individualist. Five is the investigator. Six is the loyalist. Seven, the enthusiast. Eight, the challenger. And nine, the peacemaker. As I said, None of these are good or bad. They just are what they are. And as I have learned more about the Enneagram, I use it in relationship all the time. I use it in relationship with myself and understanding my strengths or things that come really naturally or easily to me or how I might show up in the world. And then also my shadows, things that are challenging or might be triggering for me. We use this in partnership, and Danielle and I dive into what this looks like in relationships and how to use it in parenthood as well. In this episode, Danielle listed a few resources and references some folks. One of the people that she references, his name is Chris. He has recently had... 33 women come forward with sexual assault and psychological trauma allegations. And so we have removed this from the blog post, but it's still in the episode as a resource listed. You can do your own homework. We are not going to endorse Chris as a resource. If you are interested in taking the test, Danielle's probably like, no, that's not the point. (laughs) The test that we recommend is from the Enneagram Institute. It is $12 and it is the most accurate test that exists or the most reliable test available. 
The concern with testing is mistyping and that you can dive so deep into that one type. The idea of the Enneagram is that you really learn about it as a whole and can type yourself as you are learning and doing this work. Danielle will explain all of that in this episode. Head on over to the blog post at voicesofyourvillage.com to get access to all the resources that she mentions. All right, guys, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voice of Your Village. Today I'm here with Danielle and Danielle's joining us because there was a post in our Facebook group about the Enneagram and people were jumping in and sharing their experience and what they knew and whatever. And then Danielle was like, oh, actually, like, this is what I do. And I was like, oh my gosh, get on the podcast and chat with us. And so she's so graciously hanging out with us to dive into what the Enneagram is and all that jazz. So, hey, Danielle, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm super excited to be here. I love all things Enneagram, honestly. So I'm happy to jump at the opportunity to talk about it and share it with some more people who are clearly excited about it to begin with. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's something that like, is I feel like taking off a bit in a new way than maybe I was just oblivious to it before, but it feels like for me, it's popping up in uh, a whole bunch of new spaces that I hadn't noticed it before. I think a lot more I find in business, like a lot more of my like business mentors are using it and using it in hiring and using it to get to know who their employees are and, and uh, to get to know themselves and how they operate and show up in the world. And that's really like what introduced me to it. And we also do use it within Seed. Everybody, uh, I know everybody's Enneagram and uh, it helps me figure out like, how are they going to receive information best or uh, where am I? they have their guard up, etc. So I find it largely useful, but I also feel like there's so much I don't know. So I'm really just hanging out and chat about it. How did you like get here? How do you get into the Enneagram in this way? <laughs> you know, if you anytime I ask somebody that same question, it always ends up being this lovely winding twisting story. Um, so I will do my best to give you the short version. I was introduced to the Enneagram in 2009. I was in grad school and part of a sort of developmental community that um, brought forward tools like this. And um, my, my master's at that point was in industrial organizational psychology. And so in the course of our program, we were exposed to a ton of different sort of standard tools, most of the ones that people have heard of, right? Myers-Briggs and DISC and all of these other ones. And we often had the opportunity to kind of do the assessments in class for discounted rates so that the assumption being that we would end up working with clients who needed these things and we'd have a better understanding if we've done them ourselves. And I kind of, um, I was always really interested in what all of these things were going to tell me about myself, but they were sort of just a piece of information that like you put in a box and you put it on the shelf and maybe you break it out later and it tells you something about yourself and then you go on. Um, and I noticed that people were really, really quick to 
separate out into like their types, right? They're whatever they're, I'm an ENFTJ, whatever I'm a, that's too many letters, but uh, you know, I'm this, I'm that, this is who I am in the world. And what happened when I found the Enneagram was that I, it, it felt to me like it gave me a language for something that I already sort of understood intuitively, but didn't have words for. And so um, I spent the last, the 2020, 11-ish years uh, studying it. And yes, to your point, it is a, it's an extremely robust and complicated um, tool. And it is definitely making its way into the mainstream, uh, which I think has its, certainly has its pluses, but also has its risks, which we can talk about. But I'm glad that more people are getting access to it and hopeful that practitioners will share about it responsibly. It tends to be sort of to your point, right? It, it is, if you look at the whole picture, like it's a really complex thing and there are ways to access it in small chunks that allow you to begin your own journey and to explore pieces so that it can be of service to you from the beginning without having to be like a level 2000 expert before you can start actually making sense of it and having it be useful to you both for your own growth and in the relationships like what you're talking about in business. Yeah, and I think that that's what I'm also intrigued by because I found myself like accessing it and feeling like cozy and comfortable and then realizing, oh, there's so much that I don't know. And there was almost a part of me that was like kind of shut down there and was like, oh, well, I'm it, it there was a point where I was like receiving information from other like Enneagram experts. It was like, you have to know all of it to be able to use it. And that made it feel not accessible anymore. And I had to like kind of tune that out and be like, I'm going to do what feels right for me here. So I'm, I am interested to navigate that too, from like an accessibility standpoint that to yeah. your point, not everyone's going to be a level 2000 expert. And so how do you use it in a way um, that's still supportive and informative yeah. without misusing it? So I'm curious to dive into that. Let's start and just let people yeah. know what is the Enneagram? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So at sort of the highest level view, the Enneagram is a framework or a tool that you can better use to understand personality types. And that's how it's currently being used. It comes from a pretty diverse background crossover between several spiritual traditions and psychology. And so that's part of why you can become sort of this level 2000 expert, or you can do some of the um, more basic pieces and have it still be really useful. But I think it's probably also why it's taken so long to make it into the mainstream because in the introduction to it uh, can be complicated. And once you sort of have a feel for that, I think people find it easier to kind of move around more freely. But the basic premise is that human beings all operate off of nine primary archetypes. And that in contrast to what many people often jump to when they first learn about this, you are not just, you do not have just one of these types within you, right? Every human being has access to all nine of these archetypes, which is part of why people struggle on the front end trying to figure out which archetype is mine, because we can often see pieces of ourselves and the descriptors all the way around. The way that it's laid out, for those of you that haven't seen it, is on a circle with nine points, Enneagram, Enneagram is nine, each of those points is an, an archetype with a certain set of basic fears, basic desires. Those are the drivers of that human being. You know, we are not machines, but 
one of the easiest sort of access points to this is to think about it like an operating system, right? If you are not paying attention through the course of your life, through the course of your day, right? When you kind of zone out, each one of us has a central operating system that will make basic decisions, move us in certain directions, have certain reactions, drive certain behaviors for a reason. And if we are not making conscious choices about those things, they are being made for us by this operating system. So the, the work for me, one of the most important entry points for me in working with any grammar people who are new to it is to understand that 90% of the work, once you figure out what your archetype is for your own development, is in the noticing. This is a tool that enables you to notice and then to pause and make a conscious choice about who you're committed to being in the world. So very much aligned with a lot of the wonderful parenting advice that you give, right? Yes, my kid is driving me bananas and my automatic response, right? My operating system wants to yell because I know that will make it stop faster. But is that actually aligned with who I'm committed to being in the life and growth and support and service of this tiny human that I'm bringing into the world? Or would a different approach, a moment to breathe, like, can we do it differently? And is that more consistent with my life commitment? Oh, I love it so much. It's so in alignment with what we do, which is, I think, why I connected so much to the Enneagram in a way that I hadn't ever connected to any other, like, personality test, per se, right? Like, the Enneagram really stuck yeah. out to me. And I, because it was like, okay, cool. I like how you describe it as an operating system. of like, here's what's running in my subconscious and really driving me. And I get to make conscious decisions once I'm aware of that. And for us, we talk a lot about it in the frame of like self-awareness, self-reg. You can't practice self-reg until you have self-awareness, right? You can't regulate what you don't know about yourself yet. And it's so similar here in the Enneagram where I'll find myself like doing things or saying that you're like falling into patterns. I'm like, oh, ooh, is this the same pattern I want to be in here? Uh, and being able to then make a conscious choice, but it really did kickstart with that awareness. I love that's, that that's how you start with folks. Can you break down um, just like a general overview of the nine archetypes? Super quickly. Yeah. Can try. Yeah. Also, we can put a link to like, if you have a visual that you could share or that you'd recommend after you break these down, because people are just going to like yeah. hear a quick overview. We can also link in the blog post to any sort of visual that might be helpful to continue if people want to dive deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. I can definitely provide you with a link to really good descriptions. Often when I'm coaching people, I actually don't give them upfront descriptors of the different mm. types. There's a, a, a fairly standard, it varies a little bit school to school, series of names and labels that each of the, the archetypes uh -huh. is given. And people tend to get really, really hung up on those names. And they lose sight of the really important work of figuring out their own operating system because they're really stuck on either wanting to be one of these or really not wanting to be one of these. That um, makes total sense. Yeah, don't I'm dive do that okay no, totally. um, but yes I, I can definitely that. provide a link for listeners to dig in a little bit more themselves and um i'm happy to answer questions about that you know yeah on, on uh, the group if that works throughout this i will share my enneagram number i think it is i think for a lot of folks quite obvious but uh, i will reference it throughout but yeah i also so I am a three and it, when i like found out first of all my husband was like duh but i 
found myself also falling into this like well yeah I'm definitely not this because and, and I was like oh what a three thing to say like <laughs> that I am gonna be the three it's it is so interesting how that plays out so I want to offer you a correction though yeah that that may be of greater service to you and to anybody that's doing this work not a correction but an alternative yeah. you are not a three you have yeah type okay. three operating system right it does not define who you are yeah, right. It's how I'm showing up in the world. Right. And, it, it, you know, people joke about it in the Enneagram community that, like, either you have it or it has you. And you don't want it to have you because the whole point is to be conscious and to notice. And so right. if we, you know, language is really important in how we think about these things. Right. So I am not my type. Right. I have this type of operating system. And if I'm conscious of it, I can use it to greater service and I can see where it might want to go places that I don't want to go. And that's great because it's there, but it's not all of who I am. I am loving ready to eat meals in this season of life. Things are really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn. And I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are chef crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved. And holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast restaurant quality meals with no cooking required and there are more than 60 add-ons like pancakes and smoothies to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. Is it something that can shift? Like I found myself as we, like when I was pregnant this last time, 
really feeling a stronger sense of like a seven and like desiring just like freedom and flexibility and whatever, which is not, I mean, I've desired flexibility, but like I could work a billion hours a week and like really, cause I love the crap out of what I do and like love to meet goals, love to whatever. And like all of a sudden that was shifting for me or what like I felt a drive towards was shifting. Is this something that like can ebb and flow? No. So it's a great question. It always comes up. It's, you know, very much in, in similar context to sort of nature nurture conversation um, and so let me dive into it for just a minute because I think it's really important as well as people learn about their own life experiences and try to reflect on it. So the premise is that you are born with your operating system as it is. Mm-hmm. There are several other factors that can have an impact on what that looks like. And this is one of the most important for me, I believe one of the most important pieces of the Enneagram that is so easily skipped over for people who are just getting like sound bites as the beginning entry point to the Enneagram. One of the most fundamental components to the Enneagram is the idea that there are levels of health. So in keeping with the nine archetypes, there are nine levels of health. And if you think of that as like a stack underneath each of the nine, right, you can go up and down that stack Um, in any given day. You're probably not going to go from top to bottom. Most people fluctuate sort of between an average of three levels of health on a daily basis, right? You may be really good and then average and you have a medium moment, whatever it is. But one of the reasons that it is so um, damaging to claim, you know, I am my type or to throw around these huge stereotypes of, hey, like three is always da-da-da-da-da, right? I'm a three, so of course this is, this is part of what I do or how I show up in the world, is that a healthy three and a really unhealthy three are going to look totally different. Totally. Right? Ah, and, so this is what you mean by levels of health. I was, I, I'm yeah. following you now. I wasn't following you before. Yeah, I'm sorry. You. That's okay. Okay, good. I hope that that's clear for listeners too, right? That yeah, like yeah. There's, there's really critically unhealthy spaces where you, you know, you, trauma, addiction, dictatorships. Yeah. If you're a controlling, if you have a controlling archetype, right? Um, Or those same human beings, if they are healthy and aware and noticing and doing their work and digging into whatever it is that needs to be unpacked for them, right? Up the levels, become these very healthy human beings. We contribute to one another. We, you know, we make a meaningful difference in the world for ourselves and for others, right? And, And we can be the same exact type as, yeah. You know, the dictator or the, you know, crazed boss who is just like Wolf of Wall Street style over the edge greedy, right? Yeah. That's, it, it's not a function of what the type is. There are no good or bad types. Right. All of the types are lovely and equal, right? It's really a function of how healthy or unhealthy you are within your own type. Yeah. It, it is, when you're saying healthy, like for me, it's bringing up like a level of awareness, like how aware are you? Is is that where you're leaning towards here? Like how aware are you of, I guess, your subconscious and your actions and what might be showing up, or driving you or you driving it sort of thing? I would say that's a lot of it. And then the rest of it is really about doing the, the work that's there for you to do as an individual, right? And so part of what's interesting, going back to your question about nature versus nurture and can it change is that 
if you're born with your operating system in place, with your primary archetype already in place, um, the question is not what makes you a, you know, a better type of whatever your number might be, um, but really how do you experience the things that happen to you over the course of your life, right? So there's a ton of research that shows that siblings close in age, raised in the same home can have completely different um, perspectives on what their childhoods were like. That's a really good example of how one might look at this in a useful way, right? A type that is at an unhealthy level, for example, inclined to believe that they are the outsider, right? A type that is inclined to care for others, right? At various levels of health, those two children in the same household are going to experience their family dynamics very differently, right? Okay. And so all of that to also say, there is no perfect way to parent, right? If you have a kid who is reasonably healthy or unhealthy, who has an operating system that is more inclined to have them look for the places in life where they feel like an outsider, no matter how inclusive you are, they will find some of those. And that's not your fault. There is no way for you to get around that. It's really important to understand, I think, as a parent. Yeah, it, this is, it actually brought up for me, do you know Enneagram and Coffee, Sarah Jane Case? I don't. She has an Instagram. She's like a pretty watch, like 500 something thousand followers on Instagram. And she, she is one of the people that like, I feel like it makes the Enneagram feel accessible. And she also is very clear about like, if you really want to dive into this, like I offer a course and a class and like, it's so much more than these Instagram posts, but here's like an accessible entry point. And she did this series this week that was on the four pillars of Enneagram growth. And it like hit home for me. It was like relationships, work, self-compassion and service. But she would do one that's like, this could be happening in your relationship. And it would be like one through nine with like a little phrase. And then it would say, this could also be happening in your relationship instead. And it would be like, here's how to, what in my mind would be like, have a healthier approach to this of like, here's what health would look like here. Um, and here's what it could look like if we're at an unhealthy place. Uh, that, yeah that's what the C and I like was reading them and I was like, Ooh, and like finding places where I'm like, Oh yeah, sometimes that's me. <laughs> and like, sometimes like this is the goal or this is what I'm striving for or would, and again, this aligns so much with what we do in seed and with the set method of like, just bringing awareness to that subconscious, not in an effort to change patterns um, or not in an effort to like change who you are or change your triggers. Or um, I, I just posted the other day about how, my goal isn't to give you a certain script so that everybody's saying the same thing. My goal is that we are respecting culture and that every human's gonna show up differently and that you just find a way to be able to bring awareness to who you are and, it, and the tools to be able to regulate so that you can show up the way that you desire to be able to show up the way that when we're sitting in a calm space, chatting and hanging out, you're like, ooh, this is how I wanna show up. And then when you're triggered and life happens, like this is how I show up to be able to make more conscious decisions. And that for me is like continuously with the Enneagram reflects. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And it's, um, you know, part of what's interesting and I think what gets readily forgotten in, in some of the broader, lighter conversations, I guess I'll say about it is that while a lot of the typing tools that we were talking about earlier are a question of what's your behavior, the Enneagram is not about what is your behavior. The Enneagram is about what's driving you underneath, right? That operating system is not about your behavior. 
And so one of the things to your point that people struggle with on the front end is, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z, so I must be this type. The question is not what did you do? The question is why did you do it, yeah. right? So I may have um, a very enthusiastic person at a party, right? And it's very possible I know we're going to throw some numbers around. I apologize for people who don't know what they are, especially since I refuse to tell you what they are. But <laughs> I promise to provide some links that are helpful. I just don't want to short circuit your learning. Um, I'm going to tell you I the honest somebody... truth. Most people are going to follow those links and go find them out anyway. But keep going. <laughs> yes, that's fine. That's your choice. At least I haven't, I haven't messed it up if you don't want to know. So, hey, if you follow those links before you do anything else and you decide to go and read about these types before you figure out how you want to know what your own type is, at least try to read the description before you read the name. Like if you do nothing else, it's worth doing. I agree. If, if you want to give it a try. Um, but yes, so you might have somebody at a, a you know, networking hour, cocktail party, whatever, who's really enthusiastic, great at like reaching out first one to greet people, really welcoming, really kind of life of the party, everybody's enjoying, right? Um, that person may be the life of the party because what they desire, right, their deepest fear, deepest desire connection there is um, to, to, be, to be in motion and looking forward to the next hit of sort of happiness so that they can avoid feeling any kind of pain or fear. Or they may be showing up that way because in this situation, that's the top expectation, right? Like the best people that show up at these parties, the best people that come to these cocktail hours that's how they look. And so that's what's driving the behavior for somebody else. You cannot type somebody based on their behavior. You cannot type yourself based on your behavior. And a really important note on that, um, it's a really dangerous thing to do to type other people just by looking at them. So don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> every Enneagram account that I've like followed or follow talks a lot about mistyping. Um, yeah. And just how easy it is to do and how common it is. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the potential yeah. ramifications of that. Um, because then that can become your inner dialogue. I also have found that there are types that are, I've, I've had to learn more about like what drives that behavior because it is harder for me to connect with or understand. And this yeah. relates with Again, that parenting or just behavior in general, I don't know if you've seen it, but we have, I created this visual that's like behavior as the outer ring and then a secondary emotion, a root emotion, and at the core, an unmet need. And when you were just talking about like what drives the behavior, for me, it's the same with kids where I'm like, I don't super care about the behavior. The behavior is what's annoying. The behavior is what we want to stop. The behavior, I don't really care about the behavior. I want to know what's driving it. All the time, I want to know what's driving it because if we don't address what's driving it, we won't. I will just see a behavior change on the surface, um, sometimes temporary positive change or so pro-social change. And then we're going to go back to another um, behavior that is not desirable, that's not pro-social. And it's this repeated pattern. And when I work with folks, I get a lot of pushback from folks uh, who are in behavior analysis because it is this like positive reward system. And I'm like, great, as long as we're treating the behavior, we're not getting to this unmet need or this root emotion again, back to the Enneagram of like, what's driving it? Um, and I'm so much more interested in what's driving it. And my therapist is also into the Enneagram. And so she'll bring this up a lot when I'm like chatting about whatever, show, how I'm showing up in a space or what my fears are, whatever. And she gets into like, I wonder why you're afraid of that. 
it really like what's driving this and i'm like oh i don't always want yeah it. <laughs> always hard. good to have a toss right back in your face in a loving and supportive way isn't it <laughs> so nice so good um so yeah i guess like to that point but i so for me like learning about the different enneagram types and and the more i learn about it the easier it is for me to then show up for folks because I'm like, Ooh, I'm not trying to change who you are. Uh, which originally for sure, I was like, Oh no, if I just get them to understand it from this perspective, <laughs> I just tweak who you are. And the more just learned, a little bit. <laughs> right now I'm just like, Oh, that's your operating system. And yeah. I will say like fours for me, it was like hard for me to get and connect with Interesting. <laughs> and and I I presently live with a four and it has been awesome for our relationship and for me as I learned more about like really what's driving her and how she shows up in the world and why and how I can best support her in this journey, not from how I as a three desire or what's driving my desire, <laughs> but really how does What's going on behind the scenes for her? That is, for me, one of the greatest gifts of learning of learning the Enneagram has been the gift of compassion. Yeah. Right? If nothing else, my, um, I mean, look, we all walk through the world thinking that, like, our reality is obviously the reality that everybody else is experiencing. Like, we all share the same fears and the same desires and the same, you know, neuroses, whatever it is that you've got. And the reality is that that's not true. Like, yes, is uh, the flu a real thing that everybody is potentially at risk of? Sure, that's a real thing. That's part of our shared reality. But each of us lives in our own tiny reality in our own heads. And understanding, A, that that's true. Like just accepting that upfront is a huge thing. So hard. But then really, yeah, coming to understand um, what some of those other realities might look like, especially when you have somebody that you're regularly engaging with who just really hits your buttons, just really, really pushes your buttons. Um, I have found in several relationships that uh, it, it, I can't even measure how impactful it's been to be able to do this work. And all of a sudden, like the same things happen now that happened, you know, these are like long-term potentially family relationships, right? And I'm like, yeah, 15 years ago, that would have driven me up the wall. But oh my God, I can totally see what that person's experiencing now based on this work that I've done and that, you know, to some degree that they've done. So they typed themselves and shared with me, right? I didn't assume. And um, man, like, yes, this behavior is potentially annoying, but oh my gosh, like they must be in so much pain right now, right? For that to be the point that they've reached, like, this must be a really excruciating experience for them. I wonder how I can be of service that we might move forward together, right? Yeah. It's, it's a totally different entry point to these relationships that, you know, otherwise, like, they're the places where things are complicated and, and you never, you know, this is sort of one of those, like, bang your hands together and you never get anywhere with it because you can't see what they're seeing and they can't see what you're seeing and neither one of you is able to bridge that gap even a desire like in from my perspective to like live different lives like I have a brother who at 30 some years old 
well, he was a biochemist and he and his partner up and quit their jobs and sold everything and went on a canoe trip and just like camped and then went and traveled to Southeast Asia and like lived in Hawaii and like just like I the thought of it makes me throw up like the lack of security that like I just go into full like you are doing what <laughs> and that's great it's like so hard for me to understand like because in my mind, I'm like, oh, there's so much there that wouldn't bring me joy that it really like I had to work really hard to be like, oh, this is he's choosing this not because he's having a midlife crisis, not because like in my mind, I'm like, what's wrong that you would choose this? Why would you desire this? And had to really yeah, like, oh, no, 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 he's happy. This is bringing him joy. He might not know what he's doing in a week. And I have a lot of life planned out. Uh, <laughs> I'm recording this podcast yeah. today. It's not going live for four months, right? Like he doesn't know where he'll be living in four months. And uh, like, for me, it like makes me feel uncomfortable. And I had to really understand this isn't something that's wrong with him that I have to figure out how to fix. And instead realize like, oh no, no, no. We have different desires for how we want to show up in the world and allowing there to be space for that. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced. So differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Like how much energy was it taking up for you to try to like, you know, figure this out and see how it might work for your energy and your body? Like it's oh not a decision being made for you. It's not yours anyway. You don't have to live the life. He is. I was stressed. Yeah. For him. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
it's great to be able to to um, to start to understand how some of those pieces play out differently for all of us so that we can just let some of that stuff go like energetically it's yeah. just such a it's such a relief it's a relief and huge in parenting right to like it, it opened my mom was so good this is so not how she operates either and in the way that he does and she at one point said like list he's happy and like this is his joy and, and I, like, she was able to get there before I got there. And I was like, that's so cool. And she has five kids and she, I would say we were all parented very much the same and we all responded differently. And she was, I, I think whilst raising us was like, I'm doing all the, like, you guys are living in the same house. I'm doing this the same. Why are you responding differently? And uh, now, Perfect. right now as like a grandparent, she can look back and be like, oh, because you're five different humans. <laughs> so naturally. And I, but I think that that's one of the biggest parenting challenges here is recognizing that it isn't a one size fits all. First of all, not only is it not a one size fits all, like from, which is like a thing that irks me when we say like, oh yeah, I'm only sending my kids to Montessori or we're only doing this attachment parenting. We're only doing that. That I'm like, th that could be awesome for that kid. And it might not work for your next kid. And that like having this openness to rather than we're subscribing to one approach or one theory, we're going to regulate so that we can see the human in front of us <laughs> and what they're communicating to us and again this comes back to like so much in alignment with what we do and what the enneagram is i feel like is that ability to say like who's the person in front of me um not yeah, yeah. how do they show up in my world yeah and i think that's the other piece that i just wanted to touch on from something you said earlier that like I'm all for people learning about the Enneagram and learning how to use this at whatever level they're able to take it on, right? It's, again, you don't have to be a 2000 level expert. And let's be honest, like people with tiny children at home, we don't really have time to start that journey for the most part at this point, like maybe later. <laughs> um, I would say that the most important thing is um, to really do it, how, whatever access point you choose to use, right? To do it with a degree of responsibility because the reality is that um unlike you, you can misuse the mbti you can misuse the, the disc assessment um but if you misuse the enneagram especially in the context of parenting or personal relationships uh you can do some damage to yourself and to your relationships and you know if you're responsible for tiny humans to the tiny humans because they look to us for guidance um what do you mean by damage? So however you well, on the, on the lighter end, right, I'd say it's, it could be as simple as mistyping, right? If you, I've met a lot of people over the last 10 years in the, you know, professionals who use this tool regularly, who in the trainings that I've been to and communities and whatnot. Um, and I can't tell you how many times even the professionals, you know, were mistyped in the beginning. Somebody came along and said, oh, I'm an expert and you're a two. Go get them. Right. And so they started this journey without doing their own exploration of what their operating system might be, what their primary archetype was, just assuming that this expert had typed them properly. And the personal work that was really there for them to do didn't line up with what two was supposed to do because their archetype wasn't actually a two. Now, I say that with the understanding that, again, we all have access to all nine types. It's a little bit like the movie, um, 
the Disney Pixar whatever movie Inside Out. Oh, my you know, favorite like, movie on the planet. I love that movie. I feel very much like a lot of that movie is just based on a lot of in really great Enneagram stuff. That's so funny because right? I feel like so, it's so in alignment with what we do. <laughs> there you go. So it's perfect. So for me, when I think about it, it's a perfect example of how, you know, this little girl has all these, you know, spoiler, sorry if you haven't seen the movie, but this little girl has all of these different emotions and important aspects of herself up at the control panel on her brain. And the reality is that for this one individual, joy was her primary, right? Through all of her young childhood, joy was primarily in control. She also has anger. She also has sadness. She also has envy. anxiety or nervousness or envy. Yeah, she, she, you know, she's got the whole crew, but joy was the primary operator. And then things happened and things shifted around. But I feel like it's a really good um, model of what can happen with Enneagram, which is that we all have access to all nine types. We all have a primary archetype. We all have, you know, sort of um, important secondary players, if you will. A lot of people I noticed in the comments on the page were talking about their wings. Just to be clear, this is like a butterfly. You have your primary type, right? So let's say your primary type is a nine. Your wing, because this is a circle, can either be an eight or a one. Wings can only be the types on either side of you. That's the only way that that works. I know people like people just being introduced to it. There's all kinds of lingo and things to learn. There's like the wings and the shadows and the, all these things. So um, I just, just want to be clear about that because I think it helps us to understand ourselves better. And part of what I was, said was interesting about you sort of triggering off of the four earlier, because as you said, you've got the three archetypes. And if you're triggering a lot off of the four, maybe you've got some shadow work to do in the four for, sure. for yourself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, um, I was three wing two is like my type and I there's so much with the four that I find in conflict with how I operate. She's so good at things that I think I would love to feel were I don't know if like more natural or more accessible for me that I have to be really intentional about that comes so natural. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Those are great blind spots for you to explore, right? Yeah. That's so exciting. Like, I know it may feel icky, but it's so exciting to be able to see that. So when I do coaching work, the way that I talk about the wings is actually not that you have one wing. It's actually that you have both wings and one is predominantly a blind spot for you. Yeah, right? And so sure. it's a great place to be able to go to work, right? It's not that that one doesn't exist. It's not like you're not connected <laughs> to it. It's, it's your shadow work. Yeah. And you know, depending on your level of health and your primary archetype, I feel like I'm using a lot of lingo here. I apologize. Depending on where you are in terms of how healthy you are, how much you're noticing, how conscious you're being about how you're showing up in the world, right? You go to work wherever you are. So one of the nice things about the Enneagram is that if you mistype yourself in the beginning, I would offer that that's okay. I think it's a, it's a, not a nice thing for other people to do to you because yeah. it sets you on a different path. But if you do it to yourself, I believe that it's because there's work calling you in the space that uh -huh. you identified. Right. Yeah. And so if your primary archetype is an eight, but you initially identify as, you know, having a um, seven, right. You may be dabbling a lot in your wings. And there may just be some, some growth and some development work that will be of benefit to you. It will be of service to you. You will not hurt yourself by doing the work that, that is calling to you to do. And 18 months in, 
you may take a look at it and say, hey, you know, I've done a lot of healing work. I've done a lot of growing. I'm sort of more aware of how these patterns are showing up. I'm making different choices. This doesn't really feel aligned to me anymore. I can kind of see more of X. And that doesn't mean that your type changed, right? It means that you grew. It means that you were able to heal some of some of the stuff that you've been carrying around, some of the behaviors and unconscious um, patterns that yeah. weren't serving you, right? You were able to clear. And that's yeah. awesome. So if people are tuning in and now they're like, okay, I want to learn more about like my archetype or dive in deeper to this. I feel like all the places to like truly dive in with like legit information are going to cost money. Yeah. Yeah. It, it may just be the price of a book, right? Oh, I mean, there are a few okay. websites that I can recommend that are like available. And obviously there's a lot of great information on the web, but I feel like a really old person saying that on the web. Oh on, the, on the world Sorry. wide web? <laughs> <laughs> on the interwebs, you can find some really great data. I think this, the same thing that I said earlier about choosing how you approach it matters, right? If you are going to try to do some self-education about the Enneagram on the internet for free, before you start doing your education about the Enneagram, Spend a little bit of time and just figure out which resources are reputable and reliable within the community. It's not to say that there are scam artists everywhere, but I think because of how rapidly just in the last maybe five years, um, the Enneagram has gotten picked up, especially across sort of specific communities, there are a lot of people talking about it from wherever they are in their own journey. And that's lovely, but it doesn't mean that they're in a place that is supportive of the journey that you need to be starting and it doesn't mean that they understand enough of the the depth or breadth of it to be leading other people in it right so I think that that's one of the differences right if you want to explore it for yourself you can enter it in a bunch of different ways you want to teach other people about it I do think there's a responsibility to have a deeper understanding of the complexity for sure but if somebody wanted to dive into it for themselves what are some reputable sources to turn to We'll link all of these yeah. in the bio. Yeah. Um, link, in the bi- so, link in the bio. The, what an Instagram thing. We'll link them all in the blog post. <laughs> they'll be there. Wherever you go for the information, it'll all be there. So the first resource that I recommend, honestly, is the Enneagram Institute. They also, if you decide that you want to take an assessment to figure out a starting point for your journey of identifying your type, it is a paid assessment, but I think it's one of the assessments that has been around the longest. It you know, they have a ton of data that they've been, you know, gathering over the years. It's, it's pretty reputable as What's far the as cost assessments generally? go. Just, I have I no idea. one that's like $12 and oh, there's okay. one so that's not super expensive. I think there's one that's slightly more expensive. That's like 40 or 50 bucks, but I'd have to double check and I can, I can send you the different info on those if you want. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I generally, you know, when I work with people one-on-one or in small groups, my personal bias is that people don't take the assessments because it's my experience that the process of figuring out your own Enneagram type of actually having to kind of dive in a little bit and do some soul searching is such a rich process. There is so much to learn before you even know your, your archetype, right? Like the whole point of this, people think, oh, I'm going to figure out what my number is. And then like, that's the end point. I'll be good to go. That's just the beginning. Right. Right. 
but there's such a rich journey to take just figuring it out that if you have the ability to work with somebody, if you have the, you know, even if it's like a group of people that you're working with for free online, right? You've got six friends that want to do this exploration together and you're going to do some reading together and conversation, whatever it is. Um, I generally recommend that people don't do the straight up assessment, but if you're going to do an assessment, I would recommend the Enneagram Institute's assessment, um, both because of everything I just listed about, you know, it, it having been around for a long time and being more reputable, but also because what they offer you as a readout is not, here's your archetype and you can ignore the rest, but rather they give you kind of a ranking of how you've responded so that you could say, hey, like these are the top three um, types that showed up when I finished this self-assessment. I'm going to explore these three instead of just the one, which is really helpful. And one of the reasons that I find that the assessments are difficult is just because we like to think we're really self-aware, but we're, we, we really lack a lot of information about ourselves, right? So because all of these things are self-assessments, there is a level of really deep reflection and honesty that you'd have to provide in order for it to give you a really accurate readout. Yeah. So I would say, if you're going to take an assessment, take the Enneagram Institute assessment. And if you're going to do it um, as a follow-up to taking it, take a look at the top three that it lists for you instead of just running with the top one, because you may find that you're in the right range, but it's not quite the right actual archetype when you dig a little deeper. Yeah, that makes total sense. Cool. So are there, first, are there any other like Enneagram resources that you recommend? Yeah. So there are, there are a few different, and I think this is part of why it's hard for people to start to get into this, because there are several different like approaches to teaching and learning about it. So the Enneagram Institute is based on the Riso Hudson work. Helen Palmer has done a lot of great work, as well as, gosh, a number of other people. Can I just send you a list of Absolutely. Of we'll that include I it all on the blog. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to forget anything that's really important. Yeah, for sure. And then where can folks connect with you if they want to dive deeper with you? Yeah, so I am accessible at, uh, the website is softeningtosoul.com. Like we are going to soften, we are softening into our souls. Mm, cool. You can find me at that tag on Facebook as well. And you can email me at softeningtosoul at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, we will link to all of that. And then just, yeah, shoot us more resources in email and we'll pop those into the blog as well. What would you like to leave folks with after we just threw all this Enneagram info at them? I would just like to leave people with the concept that what we've talked about here is has a lot of complexity and nuance and obviously can be a lot to kind of take in that this is an incredible tool that can help you in your own growth and development as well as in your relationships with others in terms of compassion and empathy and just less stress and understanding the world around you as you engage with other humans, tiny or otherwise. And that it's okay if you decide to stick your little toe in, right, to take a couple of dips. Like this is not something you're gonna just pick up on the first go around and it's gonna be super obvious and easy. Just, you know, keep keep at it when you have the time and the availability and, and notice. Like I said, when we started, right, that is, 90% of this work is just noticing. Notice your responses, notice your patterns, notice your behaviors, and that will give you eventually, without judgment, that will give you eventually room to make a conscious choice about whether that's who you want to be in the world. 
Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, babe. Yeah, this was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.